Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. This week, we sit down with Megan Smith. Megan is a certified wound ostomy continence nurse and nurse practitioner who is the chair of the education committee for the society. Thanks so much for joining me today, Megan. I'm really excited to have you here with me. It's great to be here and share what the education committee has been up to. Good. So first, before we start that, I want you to tell me a little bit about your nursing background. Sure. Well, I started back as a bedside nurse at a level one trauma and burn center, kind of an interesting way to get started with your nursing career, but it was a great position. Got to learn a lot about complex patients and gave me a real introduction to wound care, skin care. And then with the trauma patients, we also had ostomies and some soft tissue infections as well. And then how did you get to be a WOC nurse and what kind of things have you done with your WOC career? So one of my preceptors and mentors in the burn unit actually left the burn unit to join an up-and-coming inpatient wound anastomy team that they were creating. So once she kind of got settled in there, she had worked with me, she got me connected so that I'd go to Emory to get my wound anastomy incontinence certification. And then I came back and was able to take a position with them on the inpatient WOC nursing team. Okay. So your role right now is with the WOC nursing team, or do you still do some trauma? Or tell me about that, because I know you're a nurse practitioner, right? Yeah. So I had actually left that position and then took a position in a smaller hospital for a while, just as a woundostomy nurse kind of doing consulting throughout the hospital. They hadn't had a lot of wound and ostomy projects within the facility. So we were actually able to do a lot of quality improvement and staff education there. And so it was a great place to start as a newer WOC nurse. So lots of different types of things, full scope practice, and then a lot of that professional practice as well. So some encouragement with my manager there is actually able to write my first abstract and get my first poster presented at the WOC nursing conference. From there, I became a nurse practitioner. So actually now I work as a nurse practitioner with an acute care surgery team at a level one trauma hospital. So kind of back to my roots, but able to use my wound ostomy certification in my daily practice while working as a nurse practitioner. Wow. So I bet you see lots of traumatic wounds and ostomies and negative pressure and fistula and all that kind of stuff as a acute care NP? Yep. We would work on a lot of that. So it's kind of a great combination. We do a lot of trauma patients. Like you said, I'm seeing a lot of ostomies. We get a lot of entertainous fistulas. And then as a level one center, kind of downstate in Michigan, we get a lot of people that are sent to us from other facilities. So sometimes we get patients transferred in that have had surgeries or traumas where they now have complex wounds or fistulas that are sent to us for evaluation. Great. And is your role now mostly on the inpatient side or outpatient or how does that all work? Mostly on the inpatient side. We have an inpatient team of about 10 nurse practitioners that work with the residents and the surgical staff, but we work in the surgical staff's clinics in a collaboration with them. So we're usually in clinic once or twice a week as well for preoperative or postoperative care. Okay. So you get to follow up with some of your patients too in this role. Yeah. So that's a nice part of it, I bet. 
Yeah, it's really nice, especially some of our patients who are long-term patients that you took care of on the inpatient side for a period of time to see them come back in their street clothes doing well weeks or months after you had seen them so ill. Yeah, that's exciting. That's nice. And so now you are the chair of the education committee for the WOCN Society. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because I think your committee does loads of things that nobody really knows about um, that are really important and make our members happy. Um, So first, tell me how you got on the education committee and then how you became um, chair. And tell us a little bit about how that all went. Um, So to become onto the education committee, I was interested in volunteering with the WOCN Society. So normally about once a year, there's a call for volunteers, like it's blasted out in the email and you can find it on the website. So I completed the kind of call for volunteers application. I think you have to usually submit your resume with that as well. And within that application, you can select which committees or areas that you're interested in volunteering, either from your passion areas or specialty areas. So I checked off the education committee as that was something that I have an interest in. And so I was selected to join the education committee. Okay. And then how long were you on that before you assumed the role of the chair of the committee? I've been on the education committee for four years and just became the chair this June after the WOC Next conference. Okay. What kind of responsibilities do the education committee have? Members of the education committee are considered nurse planners and kind of content experts. We oversee all aspects of the continuing education center. So that's meeting learners needs, recommending and implementing new content and evaluating educational opportunities that are available in the CEC. So all of that content in there has to go through a development process that aligns with the ANCC accreditation process that we use to assign continuing education hours. So will you explain that process a little bit, that development process? Because I think it's a lot more complicated than one might think, or a lot more work than one might think. We use a process where a gap has to be identified, so an educational gap. So normally there's a needs assessment that's sent out about educational needs to the membership, about areas where people are seeking further education or noticing a gap of maybe a new trend in practice. We also review the feedback from the national conference when you get to the end of that evaluation and people say, oh, I wish there was a topic on this this year. We pay attention and review all that to say, hey, what are we missing that the membership is looking for? So in that, we identify some gaps from that. We then look and see if we can meet that gap through existing content, such as repurposing a session through from conference or developing something new, which right now we do that through the bite-sized education sessions. Each one of those sessions, whether it's newly created or repurposed, has to go through a pilot testing process. And that's where three members of the committee have to actually listen and take that session listening to it to make sure that the content is good. If we're repurposing something, how's the sound quality? Is it something that's worthwhile to repurpose in terms of the actual recording itself? And then the length of the recording. So we know it takes 50 minutes to listen to how much continuing education can we assign and can we assign pharmacology as well if that's a topic that's talked about. Once that's all completed and the pilot testing forms are completed, it can go up into the continuing education center And when the course expires, which is usually in about two to three years, a summative evaluation has to be written that explains and shows whether the gap that we set was actually met. So there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than just giving somebody a certificate for listening to or attending something, huh? 
Yeah. And we want the content to be good. So if we repurposed a session and the sound quality was poor, you'd see a lot of that reflected in the evaluation. We want it to be an effective use of the membership's time to get content that meets their need and is a good use of time. Wow. What do you look for in committee members? I imagine you probably are often looking for new people. So what type of person do you look for when you get a list of potential volunteers? So we want our volunteers to be part and active of the WOCN Society and have a certification. Usually we're actually looking for people to have the full scope certification because we're looking at members who can review content in all three areas in wound ostomy and continence practice. And then also we've kind of been looking for a diverse membership. We're reviewing content that is across the continuum of care and across the lifespan. So we have members right now in our committee that are representing care of patients in the neonatal intensive care unit, people that are in academics, as well as people who work in home care and long-term care, so that if we're looking at content related to that, we have someone who's daily working in that area. That's great. So I know you and I communicate so we don't repeat the same topic that for a podcast and then a CEC offering. And I bet you interface with other committees and parts of the WOCN Society, like conference planning. Tell me about that a little bit. The conference planning committee also uses the same ANCC process that we use where we're looking for gaps in developing content to meet membership needs. So if we're going through to repurpose a session or create new content, and we still realize that we can't fill that gap. So maybe sometimes, I know this year we were looking at atypical wounds and burn care or topics that were coming up a little bit more frequently. If we can't meet that with content that we can repurpose or create new content, we usually pass that idea along to the NCPC and say, we saw this reoccurring theme. This might be something to look at for a session for conference. What other things does the education committee manage? I was on the site when getting prepared for this, and I noticed that there were like certification review courses and all kinds of things. So can you talk a little bit about what else you're doing besides everything else you've already said, which is a lot? Yeah. So last year, um, some of our members were very instrumental in getting updated certification review courses for the wound, ostomy, and continence exams developed and in the CEC which replaced out ones that in a way had aged out. So there's updated courses there, whether you want to take them just to review in that area, or if you're getting ready for the exam, or I know people who retake the exam as part of their certification process, it would provide a a timely and effective review for the board exam. And I know the society has a lead nurse planner, Tara Boucher. So how do you and she interface? I bet quite a lot. Tara is a great resource to us as a lead nurse planner, for the ANC guidelines for continuing education credit. So when we run into resolving maybe a conflict of interest with an author or content in a presentation, she's a great person for us to reach out to and assist with that. She joins our monthly calls. So she's there on our monthly meetings to help us and help guide any issues that we run into. It's actually been great too lately. We have some new members that we added in this year. In the last two monthly meetings, we've actually been able to offer continuing education credits to our membership on new topics, such as the change to learning outcomes, and then also completing that gap analysis form that's done can be a complex process. So we actually provided education to support our members of the committee as well. Wow, that's a great idea. Another great reason to get involved, to get extra credit. 
the bite-sized learning offerings are sort of relatively recent in the past few years from the society. And I hear great things about them. I've listened to some too. So I wondered if I didn't know about those until now, where would I find one? Where are they housed in a particular place? Or how do I tell if I'm in a bite-sized learning offering? Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, so the bite-sized sessions, you can find them in the Continuing Education Center. There's a little tag section now, like a search criteria. So in that, you can find a drop-down for bite-sized learning and search just for those courses. The members of the education committees assign those tags when they're reviewing the courses to go in. So then that way, the bite-sized sessions can be easily found for a user that's looking for a shorter session to take for continuing education. Are there any coming up soon that you can share with us? Any bite-sized offerings? The newest session that we um, got ready was how to submit an abstract, which is up and running now, which was in collaboration with the National Conference Planning Committee to help give education and support to people who are submitting an abstract for the first time. So that was the first one to go up since conference. The last two we were able to do before the WSC Next conference focused on professional practice topics. There's one entitled Education Boosts Engagement and Reduces Pressure Injuries, as well as a topic people had requested for, which was advocating for additional resources or additional WOC nurses. So there's a session in there called Collect Data to Advocate for Additional WOC Nurses. And so that was a topic that we had seen reoccurring. Okay. I think that has been reoccurring in some posters, too, in the past few years. I know I've seen those there, and we always need more help. So a lot of WOC nurses seem to develop different kinds of education for within their organizations and outside of their organizations or are doing maybe the old kind of in-service presentation or developing some kind of a module or some kind of education for others. And so I know recently we switched from the term objective and we're moving towards outcomes. That seems like that might be something appropriate for anybody that's going to offer CE credit for a presentation. So I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. You mentioned you just had some education about that. I think many of us are familiar, like you said, with learning outcomes. You're writing a PowerPoint or developing content for just education, even amongst your teams at work. So that kind of reflects on a specific topic or helps you structure the content of your educational activity. And commonly, you'll see them begin with the terms like lists, or if you're asking, list three things you could do to help reduce pressure injuries in a debilitated patient or discuss or state. So they usually start with those terms, whereas a learning outcome is a written statement that reflects what the learner will be able to do as a result of participating in the activity. So it addresses more of that educational need that was identified, and then you should be able to go back and see how it fills in the gap or the professional educational gap that was identified. So in a way, it kind of answers that question, well, what do you want the learners to be able to do as a result of participating in this activity? So I've noticed with WOCN offerings that they will ask a question, is this going to change your practice or how will this change your practice? Is that related to that, Megan? Yeah, so that what's with a learner outcome, we want it to be measurable. And when the education committee or other nurse planners look at that, they want to be able to see is it measurable. So one way you could do that is if you had a post-test, you could say that your outcome would be related to a post-test completion of scores of greater than 80% or a self-report of a change in practice on a session evaluation. Or sometimes we even use like a Likert scale. Could someone report using on a Likert five-point scale how this would impact their changes? So are they strongly agree or things like that? 
would be another way to evaluate whether we filled in that gap that was identified. So if I'm doing an offering for my hospital and then everybody who does it doesn't have any change, says nothing to that question, then either my education didn't do what I wanted it to, right? Like you would expect on a good presentation that really met the needs of the learner that you would get some specific things about changing practice. You hear people say, oh, they were able to take away a pearl for practice. Maybe it doesn't change your practice completely, but at least you could take something away to the bedside, adding another tool to away your toolbox of helping prevent pressure injuries or learning about a new medication, adding something to your practice so that's measurable, or even being able to do a case study discussion. Does it help bring out some of that content or help the learner apply the new content that they learned? And then back to my usual work time trying to develop classes for people, even if your organization doesn't require that gap analysis formally, is that something we should be thinking about more formally when we develop things, do you think? I think so. I've actually started doing it in my personal practice where I help design education for our nurse practitioner group is I send out a, here are some common topics related to trauma. Here are some common topics related to general surgery and have them take a survey monkey and see which topics are trending amongst providers. So then that way I can plan education. I think it helps target to the needs of the group that you're targeting. So then that way you can see how it's met with the outcome in the end and making sure that you're providing education that meets their needs. Because you can always assume, I think people need more education about this, but I think two people have a more positive reaction if they see that what they wrote on an evaluation form then comes up and they see that offering that they were heard. Yeah, yeah. I know sometimes I find myself like, oh my God, they need education on whatever it is and fill in the blank. And then you do it and then people aren't that enthused. Maybe I need to learn a lesson from that. Ask people what they need. Do you use SurveyMonkey in your practice at work to get information from your colleagues? And do you find that works well for you, Megan? I think it's an easy way people can do it. And in some ways, as you can change it so that it's anonymous, there isn't any people want, don't want to maybe admit that that's a weakness in their practice or that's a procedure that they'd like more practice or skills training on, that they can just submit that. And then we use a, a majority to kind of then find speakers for the content. So in your organization, do you do that like on an annual basis and then reevaluate at that? What's your time frame that you like where you are? In my work practice, I send out a evaluation and like a needs assessment every November so that I can plan from a, like a January to December calendar year. So I'm actually getting ready to send that out to our group. And then that way I make a, a list of needs or procedures and topics and then start looking for speakers amongst our staff or pharmacy colleagues that could help fill in those gaps and plan those sessions for the next year. And then does education committee work similarly? Are you now looking at what you're going to be doing for 2021? After conference is kind of our biggest kind of planning time where we look back through the sessions that were at conference and also the posters. And so then we're looking to see what the educational needs are. What was the conference feedback about those sessions? Did they meet a need? What are our gaps? So then what should be created? And then what is our timeline for that development? So as you think about that repurposing and pilot testing where members are listening to an hour long session and three members have to listen to each session, how do we spread that workload then over the course of a year? So now you're sort of in the midst of your work cycle for the committee. 
Yep, and making a schedule of what the newly launched series of education will look like between now and the next national conference. Gotcha. Are there any uh, clues you can give us about what's coming up? I think there's going to be some great sessions. There was a gap in some, actually, there was just an announcement. Four of the continent sessions that are currently in the CEC are expiring. So the first launch of sessions are going to fill in that gap and put in some new continents education into the CEC so that there isn't kind of a distinct gap between there's a lot of wound and us. We like to keep a balance between the subspecialties. And there's some good professional practice things in there too. I, I've listened to a few. So what's going on for the future for the Education Committee? So I think we're going to continue with what we're doing. We actually have been working in some subgroups, which has been a great way for us to divide work. So this year we have a repurposing subgroup and then the bite-sized learning subgroup. So it helps keep everyone engaged and kind of balance out the workload. So we switched to subgroups, I think about a year ago or so, and we found it really effective for the membership. So I think it's a great way, and I hope we can continue to come up with some innovative ways to deliver educational topics to the membership that they're requesting. Great. All right. What else is important that I should have asked you about? I think I just wanted to touch on, we were talking a little bit about the bite-sized education sessions, that those actually come from posters that are presented at the WOC Next conference. Oh, okay. And I'm not sure everybody knows kind of where they came from and how they get created. So again, looking at gaps, if we can't fill them with a repurposed session, we look specifically at the abstracts and posters kind of going into conference, knowing from the printed list of accepted abstracts, which ones to key in on. And then we actually look at the posters in person or digitally, depending on how they're being presented. And based on an evaluation tool we developed, we make a list of which ones we'd like to develop into bite-sized sessions and reach out to the authors. And we thought it was a great way that you can then, if you miss going to conference, you miss going and seeing the posters before they were ever digital. So it was a great way to highlight some of those great work that is done as a poster. And in a way, like you were saying, the professional practice sessions, some of those keys for bedside innovation for dealing with difficult patient cases, so the case study abstracts, as well as some of the practice innovations on ways that people are improving documentation and discharge processes. You can see those then developed into a bite-sized session where you can take away the knowledge in less than 30 minutes. Wow, that's great. Plus, sometimes it's hard to get to all the posters, really, and do everything else while conference is going on. So that's a great thing for the learner and the author. Yeah, and it gives, sometimes it highlights the diamond in the rough, sometimes someone that you wouldn't need or a name you didn't recognize who had a great innovation, and they were able to take that innovation back to the bedside where you work and help impact care. Yeah, I think every year I come home with a few ideas of ways to change what we're doing to make things better, and I bet most people do. Yeah, I think it's a great benefit of conference, both the sessions as well as the posters. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Maybe you can come back another time and update me again on what you're doing. Yeah, we got so much going on. I know, I know. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me for a little bit today. No problem. It was great to be able to speak to the membership. To check out the WOCN's Continuing Education Center, go to wocn.digital, D-I-G-I-T-E-L-L, Inc., I-N-C, one word, dot com, backslash WOCN, that's wocn.digital, Inc., dot com, backslash WOCN. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. 
Please visit WOCN.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's WOCN.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. <laughs>